Welcome to the All About the Customer podcast brought to you by Influitive, where we talk with customer-obsessed people to uncover how you can be more customer-focused. I'm your host, Dan Calmore. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Joseph Michelli. Joseph is an internationally sought-after speaker, author, and organizational consultant who transfers his knowledge of exceptional business practices and ways that develop joyful and productive workplaces with a focus on customer experience. His insights encourage leaders and frontline workers to grow and invest passionately in all aspects of their lives. Dr. Michelli is a Wall Street Journal, USA Today, Publishers Weekly, Nielsen Bookscan, and New York Times number one bestselling author. His latest book is Stronger Through Adversity. World-class leaders share pandemic-tested lessons on thriving during the toughest challenges. Our conversation today showcased the difference between personalization and making things personal. It might seem like we're just arguing over semantics, but Joseph believes they're radically different approaches. In this episode, Joseph dives into the meaning of making it personal, why caring for our customers as people is good for business, and gives examples of companies from Starbucks to the Ritz-Carlton who are doing it right. Joseph, welcome to the All About the Customer podcast. So amazing to have you here. It's great to be here, Dan. Thanks for having me. So today we're talking about this idea of, of making things personal with our customers. And uh, I, I, I want to start off with, maybe we can get a, kind of a, a definition uh, is maybe we can start things off. I think a lot of people use the ideas of personalization or making things personal to a lot of folks that seem like interchangeable ideas. Those are synonyms effectively. How do you think about the difference between those two things? Right. This is going to be another comparison thing. So I'm asking, you're asking me to compare something and I'm, I'm giving you another example, but you know, it's to care for and care about customers is the art of this, right? So to care for somebody is to understand what they want and deliver against it. To care about them is to really have a fundamental belief that they matter to me. And so if I care about you, it's different than just making sure I'm providing you with the products that I think you want. So this may seem very subtle, but as we get into it, I hope that we can demonstrate differences between what it means to, to personalize versus to actually deliver personal care. I love that because there's such a human element to that that I think often gets lost in business where the the one side of it of just, you know, delivering these services, making sure you're getting what you need, that's just kind of an obligation, right? You gave me money, I have a certain obligation, but this idea of making it personal is really going above and beyond that and thinking of our customers more as as people. Is that like a fair summation of this? Yeah. And personalization is a great strategy because we just don't want to have a generic product. We want to be able to tailor the product to what's going to interest you. Um, that's a brilliant business strategy and we're using it all the time. I've been doing this for a long time and we've been trying to tempt and tantalize people based on what we understand about their preferences. But when push comes to shove, right, and something goes wrong, am I willing to stand behind it? Do I understand really what your motivation is and what success looks like for you in the experience? And, and that's the difference, I think, between brands that may use data that speak to your preferences and those that actually take that data and forge a personal relationship between the brand and you. So why do you think it's so important? Like why, why do we go that extra step? Why not just, and, and, and the conversation of personalization, why do we go further and make it personal? Because we're using a lot of impersonal technology right now. Uh, we are using an abundant amount of impersonal technology to interface with customers. So, you know, I, I'm just looking over my shoulder and I wrote a book about Zappos and you know, Zappos long ago, I got to work with Tony Shea and, Tony, uh, rest his, his soul, was an incredible visionary who said our contact center is really one of those few moments in our relationship with a client or customer where we can actually humanize the brand. 
you know, other than that, most people are buying on the website without ever having any contact with the Zaponian. But if you're going to have an interface in the contact center, it shouldn't be a cost center. It should really be a loyalty driver. And so he actually named his contact center, the CLT, the customer loyalty team, and gave those people the clear message that they're not in the business of product fulfillment. When somebody actually calls you, you have this grand chance to build customer loyalty that is very difficult to do, even if we send lots of personalized messages to them about what else they might want to buy because they bought the last product from us, right? Using all the best AI for product suggestions in personalization, it's not going to create a personal emotional connection between that customer and Zappos. I love this example because when I think of the last few times I've purchased something online, there was zero human interaction. I went on the site, found what I needed and purchased, and then got automated emails letting me know when it was coming. So when our customers reach out to our support, whether we're in B2B or B2C space, that's a prime opportunity to create a meaningful interaction with them, even if they're upset. And another way we can make it personal, even if I don't get to ever interact with you, I can have my people on the videos that are showing the product, right? And they can be absolutely flawed human beings, you know, marvelously charming, engaging, but not perfect. They don't have to be the model you know, vision that we have of perfection. We can be real normal people who are telling you about the shoes that you're going to buy on Zappos. And that really is making it personal. We as human beings are now buying from somebody who's showing us this shoe as opposed to just a three-dimensional representation of flyover video of the product. So there are many ways to make it personal, even if I can't have that one-to-one special time that you called up the contact center because there was a problem with your order. If you do get that chance, now's the time to shine because you're going to differentiate yourself up the Wazola and the stories they're going to tell to the people in their life, which is what all personalization is about anyway, is to try to get such a connection with you that I get all those other people that have a connection with you as an opportunity space for me to deliver an experience that you then transfer out to that network. So I'm always curious why, why people think things are the way that they are. So why, you know, everything you're saying to me completely makes sense, but why aren't more companies trying to make things more personal and just focusing on personalization? Because I think we've got this great tool that is so exciting to use in the space of AI that it's decreasing the amount of time we have to actually think about anybody. We're just thinking about big data trends and using those big data trends to isolate ways to present something to you. So first off, I think the tool is so great that it's seductive, right? The other thing, it's really hard to find people who are capable of making human connections, right? So that there are a lot of people who don't understand the importance of this. I uh, teach at uh, a university and my commitment is to help people realize you want to be successful in your life, learn how to serve other people, learn how to really form a personal emotional connection with somebody that you can then deliver service against. And my goodness, you will keep moving and moving, moving up in your career. But if you make it be about you, which a lot of people have confused, Right. Like they get on their video uh, reels and they really look at me, look at me, look how fabulous I am. You're going to get a lot of attention for a short period of time. And then, you know, somebody else is going to do that and you're going to lose your ability because it's just not sustainable. Sustainability comes from creating value in the lives of those you serve. And 
the continuation of understanding how to do that is what is the art, I think, of long-term life success. So there are a lot of people who don't get it at the service level, and we've got great tools that teach us we don't really need to do it, and we just keep on generating interesting, scrollable content. Well, I, I think the, the tools have empowered us to get to a certain level. I mean, there's a lot of companies out there who do not make it personal and are on the surface are somewhat of successful. I mean, I think I listened to one talk, you, you know, you mentioned, you know, your, your cell phone service provider, like when's the last time you had a good interaction with them, but they're often fairly successful companies. So I think that's probably one part of like, Hey, we can get far without needing to do it. I think the other part, and we can dive into this in a bit is, is the scale side of things. I think inherently when you talk about trying to make things truly personal and have that human interaction, a lot of people's gut reaction to that is, well, we just can't scale that. Like, do you think that the scale side of it is a real fear oh, factor? It's a huge issue. I mean, if you, I, and I think the art of it, let's take a brand like the Ritz Carlton, which also seems to be up on my shoulder for whatever reason here. Um, the Ritz Carlton is a classic example, a very large organization, you know, part of the Marriott family that uses a very effective CRM, so customer relationship management database, where they're inserting data on preferences. Now that is really scalable. The challenge then is who looks at that data so that when you arrive, they have put your room together with elements that reflect that personalization in a way that demonstrates maybe a personal handwritten note that says, you know, I just wanted to make sure this music was playing or if there's anything else I can do for you. It's that extra piece that is really hard, right? It's one thing to get the data in there at scale. How do we get people to pull threads of that as they can in the process? And you might get less of that on a Friday night at a restaurant than you would at, you know, a Thursday afternoon. But having that database and then teaching your people to leverage what we know about people so that we can step into that personal relationship. I, I, maybe this is too general a question because I'm sure the answer is it depends. But what does that tend to look like? Like when you're trying to get, you know, use these processes to gather this information, but also making sure that people are using it. Does it tend to, to require a dedicated person whose job is enablement, let's say? Well, you know, I'll give you an example. I worked for a, um, a mortgage company that works with veterans. And what we literally did is we used their customer relationship management database. We taught from the beginning that every bit of detail that you get about someone's life, you need to insert into this reservoir of knowledge of the customer. And as you're downstream from that, you're still collecting information for other people, but you're also benefiting from that. So if you're about to go into a customer call, please review that information, which may be information about you know, things like your, your recreational interests and your family and any kind of occupational interests and your dreams. It's, you know, often called the Ford model, you know, family, occupation, recreation and dreams. And so we might collect all of that in a, in a database that you're going to reflect on just as you're going to go into the call. And now you can talk about your daughter's uh, volleyball because someone else picked that information up earlier on. It just works together as a brand that actually cares about me as a human being that somebody just takes a second to look at some information collected by someone else. Now I'm not treating you like you're just another object. You're a person that we have interacted with before and we've taken the time to get to know a little bit about you so that we can build on that relationship through every transaction during the, the service journey. 
I love that. Well, I, I, you mentioned AI before, and I think this is actually a perfect opportunity where AI can enable a lot of this stuff. Like, you know, so often the problem that is happening with AI is it's it's trying to replace these human interactions. But with a lot of, you know, help desk software, for example, AI can help surface this information in a lot scalable way. So you can actually enable this more human personalized experience by showing it to reps at the right time. Like it, it, AI doesn't have to be this thing that stops this from happening. It really can hopefully be a way that enables us and makes it easier to do these things. Hallelujah. That is the, the let's just end there. I don't care if we're supposed to continue on that. Uh, you know, that is kind of where I'm, I'm wanting the world to go. In my vision of the, the best customer experiences of the future, they are human power and technology aided. And they rely on that technology to help us gather information that we can't gather at scale, synthesize it for us in ways that it'd be just too you know, cumbersome. I mean, I can't remember every single customer I serve, but if the AI can feed it to me in just-in-time bits of knowledge that I can then engage in human interaction. If you think about it in the ancient of days, you kind of had the sense that you had salespeople who had like three by five cards and wrote personal details about their customers. And before they went and served that customer, they looked at their three by five card and started the conversation about the client's wife, kids, dog, what alma mater. Uh, and, and that's really what we would want AI to do, but we don't want AI to be the chatbot that, you know, communicates that and engages you through its ability to pull that data through. We want it to serve it up to a human that can say, yes, it's Dan. I get to see Dan today. How cool is that? Uh, and for you to feel that in a way that no AI can do, you know, I just have not seen emotional intelligence be a function of this artificial intelligence. So I'm sure over the years working with your various clients and just, you know, in the wild, you've seen a lot of people who maybe bought into this idea of making it personal, but aren't quite doing it right. So even for the folks that, that understand, at least at a high level, the difference between personalization and making it personal, what are some common mistakes that you see people make when trying to go down this path of making it more personal? Well, first, you have to have a fundamental belief that everything is personal. From a customer's perspective, you have to believe that when somebody buys a widget, it means something important to them and unique to them. And so they don't have that fundamental belief, then they're going to do it as an affectation or a strategy, and it's probably not going to be sustainable. So they'll do it for a bit and then they'll give up on it. It does take some work. And so I think the lack of building that groundwork for your team and articulating that and then letting them what, know what you want people to feel every single time they interact with your business so that we know what kind of emotional, because I think another way for me to think about personal is in the emotional space. Intellectually, I can be satisfied with the product. I can even be satisfied with your technology. I can be bedazzled by your technology for a while, but then it becomes standard. And now you just have to keep competing against the better product. But people can actually touch me on an emotional level. They can make me mad. They can disappoint me, but they can also delight me and create moments of wow, I just, they really cared. How did they know that? That's amazing that they were thoughtful like that. Just a little thing, but it really touched me that they cared. And I think that's where people just don't understand the power of emotion and emotion creates memory, which, you know, on the marketing side, which I know your audience has a lot of marketers, they, we, they get it, right? Like they try to create that emotional, splashy, pay attention to us excitement. 
And then when you get into the service relationship, it's just like, you know, it's like super bland uh, and you can't find a human or you can't find anything that really touches me. It's just very transactional. Yeah. And I, I think this falls in the category for me. I, so many ideas I hear on the show is it's good on the the personal side. It's it's good to just be more human and try to connect people on the human level. There, there's altruistic reasons to go down this path. But they're also just good business sense to do this, right? Like when people have an emotional connection to brands, they tend to want to stick with that brand through the highs and through the lows. A lot of times when it comes down to a lot of, you know, various B2B software is somewhat interchangeable. But when you have that connection through whatever it is, you just want to stick with those brands better. So you don't, you don't just have to do this to be a nice person. There really is a strong business case for doing this. I've done two books now about Starbucks and one really early on with Howard Schultz and then one right after he, he did his transformation, uh, the first transformation. What, what I will tell you about Starbucks is if, let's imagine somebody has never been to a Starbucks. Hard for me to believe, but it's possible. And let's assume they're also a friend of mine and they say, I know you like Starbucks a lot. Uh, I've never been. I what? Well, let me encourage you to go. You just gotta go, right? And they go and they come back and they go, oh, Joseph, that was really ridiculous. I mean, they had like a tall blonde, the coffee tasted charred, it should have been called Charbucks, or they should have called it five bucks. I mean, it's ridiculous. And and I would look at them and I would say, whoa, who am I associating with? Like, really, you have just dissed my family member over here called Starbucks, and I'm not so sure I want to associate with you anymore. I mean, point being, is that brands will reach a level of relationship with us that are emotionally, the ones that we really do feel something for, you don't mess with my Starbucks, right? Like you, you can mess with Dunkin' Donuts, but don't mess with my, and whatever your brand affinity is, we know that they almost reach the level of belovedness, just like a friend might. And if our friend isn't connected at the same level, well, we can find other friends. Now, now I'm starting to to wonder: is this is this a real story? Like, how many people has Joseph cut out of his life? Because <laughs> they're not coming to Christmas over Starbucks. Well, and 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 I would say, you know, I have not cut people out of my life, but think about how much politics has done that because people create a personal relationship with a political figure of one side or the other. And I'm not here to talk politics, but my point is that. Most of us don't know any of those political leaders at a real personal level. We just have a sense of personal connection to them through our identification with them. Um, and then people have been cut out of families and dropped from Facebook and you name it. So um, it's a real thing. And we need to get that emotional connectivity earned, earned positive emotional connectivity because we leverage the data from personalization in ways that enable us to be fully present and make a personal connection with the, the individual in front of us to the greatest degree possible. So much of what Joseph is saying about creating real human connections is resonating with me. But a lot of the examples here, Starbucks, Ritz-Carlton, are B2C companies. I think for a lot of folks listening, it might be easier to visualize a B2C company doing this than it is a B2B company doing this. But B2B can also take advantage of this approach. Yeah, well, I work with lots of businesses that are B2B. I work with plenty of them who are B2B2C, right? Like you're working with somebody in the B and they're, you're also caring about their C. But, but in the end of the day, I mean, yes, businesses are much more complex. Um, it, there may be many buyers that you have to develop some level of personalization with or personal connections with, right? And I'll tell you what happens for me often in the B2B. If I develop a real close personal relationship with somebody and then they move on to another company, I go with them. 
right? If I don't develop the personal relationship with them and they move on to somebody else, I'm almost at peril to, because you know, I'm dead in that organization now because they were my ally. I, I just think it's really critical to realize that business people are people too. Um, and they may make more, they may say they make decisions purely on the logical frontal cortex, non-limbic system stuff. But, you know, if you fail them sometime, uh, their emotions start getting in the way and their lack of trust becomes insidious and you're not going to be around for a while. If you have a strong relationship with somebody and you really sense that I care about you and your success, even if we have a hiccup, you're more likely to let me work through that and try to prove that I'm going to protect you the next time this is not going to happen again. So for me, this logical you know, Spock type person who, you know, makes business decisions because they're in a business. I just haven't met them yet. It's people on both sides, right? Like it's, it's you know, companies don't buy stuff, people buy stuff and, and we yeah. buy from other people. So it's, yes, there are, you know, there is, there is a company in front of us, but really at the end of the day, we're all people just buying and selling these things and we want better experiences. Like a lot of times we have to buy a solution from somebody. So wouldn't I rather buy a solution from somebody where I'm going to interact with them and they're not a jerk and they care about me on a personal level and we have nice conversations? Absolutely. And I think it goes in every single dimension as a vendor or as a partner, as you know, depending on what you want to call me, is a third party who comes in. I know I'm going to serve all my clients really well, but the one who's been more willing to get to know me and seems to actually care about me as a person, not as a fulfillment object, you both send me a request at the same time. I know which one I'm going to go to first, right? It's just human nature. And the beauty is with all this technology, we are less satisfied with our relationships in business than we've been for a long time. The American Customer Satisfaction Index had a 17-year low last year. You know, it really speaks to the fact that we have a lot of aspirations for building emotional, successful customer experiences, but most of us are just really focusing on the transactional and it's not getting us where we need to be. You know, going back to what I said earlier, it also makes for a great opportunity because so many people are unsatisfied. So if you want to differentiate yourself, this is a very easy way to do that. Yeah. And look at what's happening. Try to find a, you know, contact center number on a lot of websites today. You know, they've been just wiped off. They think that chatbot's going to solve the problem. Chatbot might be a good front line. It may give me the choice of whether or not I want to self-serve or not. But at some point, you better have a person available. And a lot of these brands seems to have forgotten that. And I know it's hard to find the right people and hard to train them but it's also hard to stay in business if you don't. So this this seems like a type of thing that it's not easy. I mean, I think it's always difficult, but it's a lot easier when it's baked into how your company is developed in the first place, right? Like you, you start off believing that making it personal matters. It's a lot easier than when you've been operating for a long time. But for, for those companies who have been doing this for a long time and maybe haven't been doing a great job of making it personal, once you're so far down this path, like how how do you how would you recommend them think about course correcting and trying to find ways to make their existing business more personal? Well, I had a good fortune of working with Mercedes-Benz USA. And I, you know, I, I love their vehicles, but I can tell you they've never been developed as a brand that cared too much about people. They cared about engineering. They're very proud of being, you know, the creator of the automobile, as they would like to say. And from a design perspective, they designed great vehicles, but they didn't design great human experiences. You know, there are multi-generations of people who've been running this business. And it got to a point where on the J.D. Power, they were 33rd among automobile uh, manufacturers, let alone luxury. I mean, they were Mazda was beating Mercedes when I first got involved with them. And, and really, it was a culture that had not 
clued in on this. So it meant a CEO who said this is a singular vision. It meant investing in training and that training with things like how do you listen? How do you empathize? How do you add value? How do you delight? Right. So it was a very focused bit of of training, it was also looking at all the touch points and looking at where was it that we were creating pain? How could we remove pain? What were the most memorable you know, moments in the customer journey? How do we infuse those with the emotion we wanted, which was delight? It meant measuring for delight. We literally started asking customers, to what degree did we delight you today on a scale from zero to 10? And we got plenty of zeros where people said, delight me. You treated me like I should be grateful that I spent $125,000 to buy your car. Um, so we had a heavy road to hoe, um, but we did. We created incentive packages linked to those metrics that really said those dealers who could deliver delight in a consistent basis should get more of the variable margin than those who could not. And so we made it more of a meritocracy where people got a bigger piece of the pie if they were focused on this. That's what it takes when you don't have it baked into your DNA. You need to really have a come to Jesus moment that we are about to do this. And if you can't, if you can't do it, we're going to you're going to get penalized accordingly because that's the way we roll here, which is what culture really is. This definitely sounds like a type of thing that it really has to start at the top, right? Like you, you need top level buy-in for this, but I think for a lot of the folks listening, they're probably not at the top, right? Like, so for them, how do you, how would you recommend them try to sell this up? Like how, how do you, what are the types of things when you're trying to pitch this grand vision shift that you see resonate with executives? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I tell people you got to do everything you can do with the level of control that you have. And then if after a period of time, you determine that this organization isn't going there, then you may have to go somewhere else. Uh, that's a more of a right fit for you. But I think a lot of the ways to do this is to do a lot of the, hmm, you know, we're seeing more of this. I'm wondering, you know, what we might do to actually engage customers a little bit more. You know, the way it's going right now, I have some fear that this might happen. I think you just keep talking about the human condition that's right in front of you and where you seem to be making the mark or not. Celebrate those victories and try to leverage off of them, off the low-hanging fruit victories. But all of us today, if, if my CEO doesn't care, uh, it's harder for me to care. But there's another customer walking through that door right now. And do they care whether or not the CEO cares? No, <laughs> they care whether you care. Uh, and I think it is our opportunity to take what we have and maximize our impact therein. And then, as you put it, it's important to keep challenging the status quo until you decide the status quo won't change and that you need to change. So I'm sure over the years, you've probably seen a lot of companies who previously used to do this well and have kind of lost their way. What do you find tends to make companies lose their way when they seemingly bought into this originally? Yeah, I, I think fear uh, causes it. You know, fear of missing out, really kind of changing their stripes for you know because they think that's going to work. I, I have a lot of clients who really are trying to become somehow tech forward to the point that they really are not cutting edge tech people. They need to not be first in. They need to be kind of maybe fast followers, but not you know, early adopters. So I see people who are afraid that if they don't do this uh, or that, you know, you saw it particularly in the social media world for a long time where people try to be on every platform and they couldn't even manage maybe one or two. So they were terrible across five when before they were really good at maybe direct service. And, and so it's really kind of learning how to say no to the things you can't be excellent at and then really doubling down and finding 
those customers who value what it is that you are excellent at. Love that. So what haven't we talked about around this subject, if anything, that you feel like the, the listeners need to know? No, I think we, we've uh, written the personalization, personal front as far as anybody needs to know right now. I would just encourage you to think about this dimension in your business. To what degree are you delivering personal care along with personalized offerings? I love it. So, so maybe my wrap-up question is going to be a continuation of that point. Maybe it's not, but the question I ask everybody to wrap this up for the folks listening at home, if you can give them one piece of advice to, you know, today, tomorrow, get them one step in the direction to be more customer centric, what would it be? So kind of on an individual, but, but leading up way, I would say, what do you want every customer to feel every single time? No excuses. And then does your organization have a theme around that? And if not, I would lead up. I would say, hey, we know that how people feel affects whether they're going to stay and repurchase and tell others. So are we aligned? Do we have a unified way that we want people to feel so that we can empower our teams to do that? I would lead up on that. And then the other one, in a purely personal way, I ask you based on that other question earlier, kind of about what happens if you don't have leadership support, I would want to know what do you want your, your career to have been about? What do you want your legacy of service to be about? And if you haven't really thought that through, I would strongly encourage you do so and develop what I call a, a legacy statement is just to say, I want to leave the following legacy from a service perspective. And just write that down, share it with us, somebody you love, broadcast it to somebody you love, have them become your accountability partner, check in with them every six months or so, and really make choices to increase the probability that you will have lasting impact in the lives of people, not just business success on some kind of sales scorecard. I, I love that. And this, this episode is probably going to come out in early 2024. So hopefully, you know, people are thinking they're, they're still in the New Year's resolution mindset. So I feel like that, that's such a perfect time to, to think about the legacy that you want to leave. Perfect. Awesome. Well, Joseph, this has been terrific. Uh, so many amazing examples because you've, you've written so many books about this. I feel like there's, there's an endless supply of books you've written if people want to learn more. But uh, this, this was amazing. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Dan. Creating personalized experiences is a good start, but it's not enough. In an age when everything has gotten less personal, treating customers like human beings can be a massive differentiator. I think the scale side is a genuine concern for a lot of companies. It's a lot easier to scale AI interactions than it is personal ones. But Joseph has already shared plenty of examples where huge companies have found a way to make it work. They leverage technology to make experiences more human. They don't use technology to replace that human interaction. This has been the All About the Customer podcast brought to you by Influtive. I've been your host, Dan Kalmar. Until next time, if you don't like Starbucks, please don't tell Joseph. He'll never speak to you again. <laughs>